Acts chapter 26, looking at verses 12 through 20. While thus engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only of the things which you have seen, but also the things in which I will appear to you delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open blind eyes, that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first, also at Jerusalem, and then throughout the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and performing deeds appropriate to repentance. So we rejoined Paul in the city of Caesarea. It's a uh, seashore town about 60 miles northwest of Jerusalem. He's been sent there to stand trial, that he can maybe receive a fair trial in that city. He's being accused by the Jews of violating the principles and laws of Judaism, um, accusing him falsely of being a transgressor of the law of Moses, accusing him of Uh, defiling the temple, accusing him of blasphemy against God. But they also had to accuse him of violation of a Roman law because they wanted him executed. And the Jews didn't have the authority to execute their criminals. They were uh, under occupation and only Rome could execute criminals. So they had to find a Roman law that Paul was in violation that would make him worthy of death. And so they were accusing him of treason. Here's a man that is teaching that Jesus is king. Jesus is the king of the Jews. That would make him guilty of treason against the emperor. So they're trying all these things to get rid of Paul. And during the whole process, um, Felix, the governor, is, is replaced by a new governor by the name of Festus. And he's confused. He doesn't know what to do with Paul. He doesn't know why the big uproar about this man, Paul. And so King Agrippa just happens to come for a visit to Caesarea. So in their conversation, Festus mentions to the king about this man named Paul and how confusing this case is. And King Agrippa is interested. And so he decides he wants to be a part of the trial. And that's where we pick up in chapter 26. It's time now for Paul to give his defense. And what does he do? He shares his testimony 
of how he came to know Jesus as his Messiah, as his Lord and his Savior, because even more than wanting to defend himself, he wanted to bring these people to Christ. Can you imagine the excitement in his heart if King Agrippa would receive Christ? if the governor would receive Christ and all those who are listening that day. So this is his defense. He shares his testimony of how Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus and a bright light and he was blinded and knocked to the ground and he hears the voice, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so he, he finishes sharing his testimony and then the governor, Festus, speaks up and says, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Everyone knew that he was highly intelligent and highly educated. So the governor's thinking, you know, you've, you've gone off the deep end. You're a few bricks short of a load right now. You're not dealing with reality anymore. Paul said, I'm not out of my mind. I'm speaking words of sober truth. And then he looked at the king and he said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. He knew King Agrippa had educated himself in Judaism. He was well aware of the prophecies of the Old Testament and the accuracy of the prophets, secular history, historical events, bearing witness and corroborating the validity of the prophecies. Now, when you see that, you realize, okay, that's got to be God because human beings aren't capable of predicting the future accurately over and over again with 100% accuracy. So they had to receive visions from the Lord. They had, this has to be from God. And, and King Agrippa was well aware of all this. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. He, he even knew the messianic prophecies and how every one of them has been fulfilled in the life of Jesus and no one else. And King Agrippa said, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. Man, it was all making sense to him, becoming clear. The Holy Spirit was convicting him and drawing him. And Paul said, I would to God that whether a short time or a long time, you and everyone who hears me today would become as I am, except for these chains. Powerful witness of the Apostle Paul, just sharing his testimony. But what I want to focus on this morning in this passage of scriptures, first of all, verse 19, where Paul says, I did not prove myself to be disobedient to the heavenly vision. And, and, and what he's referring to here is when Christ revealed himself on the road to Damascus, Paul didn't just come to know who Jesus is. He didn't just come to know the Lord. He came to know the Lord's calling upon his life. Verse 16 that he had been called by the Lord to be what? Two things, a minister and a witness. And that, that's how he was living his life. That was now the new purpose, God's purpose for his life. That's why I'm here on this earth, to be a, a minister and to be a witness. And I have not proved disobedient to the heavenly calling. And the reason we want to focus on that today is because that's our calling. When the Lord came to each one of us, he revealed himself to us and we got to know the Lord, but he also revealed his plan and purpose for our lives. This is God's calling upon our lives. This is why we're here on this earth. Two things, to be a minister and to be a witness. And that is where satisfaction, contentment, and fulfillment are found. The last place most people would think to look for satisfaction, fulfillment, 
and contentment in life. But there is no more rewarding life. No way to be filled up on the inside more than just living your life to be obedient to the heavenly calling, to be a minister and a witness. What's a minister? The word just means servant. God's purpose for our lives on this earth is to become lowly, humble servants among men. We serve God by serving people. And so we wake up every day looking forward to opportunities to somehow be a blessing to somebody. Lord, how can I be a blessing to somebody today? It's the most rewarding way to live. To find somebody who's in trouble, who has a need, and then to be able to help them with that need or that problem in a tangible way. There's nothing more rewarding or fulfilling. But that's not where the world looks for satisfaction and fulfillment in life. A lowly, humble servant among men. Because what makes sense to people is climb the corporate ladder or climb the ladder of success. And once you get in the top, then everybody below you serves you and has to do everything you say the way you say it. And that's the place of satisfaction and fulfillment in life. Jesus said, you know the heathen, the godless, how they lord it over one another and their great men exercise authority over one another? Among you it will not be so. He who wishes to be greatest among you will become the servant of all. The last place people would think to look for contentment, satisfaction, and fulfillment in living. That's why Jesus took a towel and a bowl of water and started washing the feet of the disciples. The lowest job of the lowest slave. He said, you call me Lord and Master, and you're right, I am. But if I, your Lord and Master, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet because I'm giving you an example that you should do to one another as I have done to you. Yeah, I'm your Lord and Master, but watch, observe how I fulfill my role in your life as your servant. He's in our life to serve us, to do whatever needs to be done so that we are content, satisfied, and fulfilled in every way. He's always at work in our life to change us in certain areas, to refine us in certain areas so that as we become better people, we will have a better life. You call me Lord and Master, but watch how I fulfill my role in your life. Now, a lot of times when husbands and fathers are not fulfilled in their role as husband and father and they're very unsatisfied and unhappy and they think they know what the problem is, usually they're wrong because they think the problem is my wife doesn't serve me enough. My wife doesn't do enough to meet my needs. And most of the time she doesn't even listen to me, doesn't do the things I say the way I want them done. I, I deserve a little respect. I demand a little respect. Same with the children. Half the time they don't listen to me. They don't do what I say the way I say it. Can I get a little respect around here? That's not the problem. Usually the problem is they have not become enough of a servant to their wives and their children. And if they would just take up their cross and follow Jesus, deny self, die to self daily, as Paul said, so that they could live their life, just focus on their wife's needs. 
Yeah, you call me Lord and Master. Yeah, God made me the head of the home, but watch how I fulfill my role as the head of the home. With a towel and a bowl of water, I'm here to serve my wife. I'm here to make sure that all her needs are met and all of her desires are fulfilled and she's the happiest fulfilled woman in the world. And when he is living his life that way as a lowly servant in the home, she honestly believes she's married to the most wonderful man in the whole world. And guess what? She can't do enough to please him and to meet his needs. And then her respect for him is enormous. Not because he demanded it, because he earned it. How? By becoming a minister, by becoming a servant to his wife. And the same with his children. Once he can die to himself, and it's no longer about what pleases me and makes me happy. All that matters is what makes my children happy, what pleases them, what's fun for them. And if there's any free time, it's about what they want to do. And what they want to do is not what he wants to do. He'd go fishing or, you know, do something that's fun for him. And when they're visiting grandma, that's what he'll do. But when they're around and there's free time, what would be fun for them? Even if it's playing house and dolls with his little girl, you know, or wrestling around with his little boy, whatever's fun for them. And they believe they have the most wonderful daddy in the whole world. And when the car drives up in that driveway, it's daddy's home, and they burst out the door and jump in his arms. And he has this enormous respect from his children, not because he demanded it, but because he earned it. And how did he earn it? By becoming a minister. And then he's fulfilled as a husband and as a father. We're not satisfied. We're not content. We're not fulfilled. We're not happy. A lot of times the answer is because we're not enough of a servant. Serving God by serving others fills our hearts with so much joy. You've heard of the 10 steps to overcoming depression? Step one, do something kind for someone. Step two, repeat step one nine times. <laughs> And it works. And we, we end up obtaining the true riches of life. People who are rich in material things can be empty and unsatisfied and miserable. The Lord is going to show us how to obtain the true riches of life. And we will be wealthy, wealthy people. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be conceited and not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who gives us all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be ready to share, that they may um, lay up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future and take hold of that which is life indeed. I want to take hold of that which is life indeed. I don't want to just have physical life. I don't want to just be existing. The people that have a meaningless existence, a life without purpose, are the most unhappy people in the world, and they get so depressed, life isn't worth living anymore, and they become suicidal. And we have such a meaningful existence. There's so much purpose for our lives, and we can take hold of that which is life indeed. So we want to be able to say with Paul, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly calling. I've been living my life to be a minister 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Ephesians 4? He gave pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Who's the saints? <laughs> believers. All believers are called saints in the New Testament. And it doesn't mean because we're so holy all the time. Saints means set apart. And we've been set apart. Set apart from what? A corrupt world. Set apart from what? That group of people who are unrepentant, unforgiven sinners, separated from God. We're not in that group anymore. We've been set apart from that group. We're in the group of people who love the Lord. And through our faith in Christ, we're forgiven and glory bound. So all believers are saints. And he gave pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, the believers, for the work of the ministry. And man will have the richest, most beautiful life when we are fulfilling God's calling upon our life. Secondly, he's called us to be witnesses for Christ. Life is so rich and full when we are living our lives for that purpose. What does a witness do? A witness testifies. You go into a court of law. They, they, they put that person down in the witness box, and what do they do? They testify. They share their testimony of what they saw, what they heard, what they experienced. So the Lord hasn't called us to be an attorney. I'm not the prosecuting attorney going around trying to prove my case, prove to everybody why they're sinners going to hell, what all they're guilty of. And he hasn't appointed us to be the judge or the jury. We're not to go around judging people, explaining why you're such a wretch and you're going to burn forever. We're witnesses. He hasn't called us to argue with people. Just share with people what God's done in your life. Really? God did that for you? How our lives are changed, how our lives are different what we have seen and experienced, what we will see and experience, because God's never done working in our lives. There's always going to be fresh testimonies. Oh, let me tell you how God got me out of this mess. Let me tell you how God answered this prayer. And we're just sharing with people until they're thinking, wow, God did that for you. I wonder if God would do that for me. I wonder what it would be like to know the Lord and have the Lord in my life. And so we just share with people. We look forward every day to opportunities. Share with people what God's done in our lives. And, and what are you going to run into? We always run into the same type of arguments, right? Well, I believe God and religion is just a crutch. I believe it's all just a crutch for... I don't know why I'm using the southern accent, because it could be anybody. <laughs> um, I think God and religion is just a crutch. Weak people invent God and religion because they're too weak to stand on their own two feet. And our response is, I'm not going to argue with that. You know, I, I agree that, you know, Jesus is a crutch, but oh, he's so much more than that. Jesus is the ambulance. Jesus is the emergency room. Jesus is the surgeon, the doctors, the corps of nurses, the medication, the treatment. And and everybody knows what it's like to be in pain at some point in their lives. Every, nobody goes through life without experiencing emotional pain of the heart. Nobody goes through life without knowing what physical pain is like because there's evil in the world. There's pain and there's suffering. And when the pain is so great, everybody 
starts looking for some way to relieve the pain, reduce the pain level. So why would I want to turn to man with his human limitations? You know, the, the therapist and, and the psychologist, when I could turn to the wonderful counselor who has infinite wisdom and knowledge and understanding of all things, why would I turn to man who is, has his human limitations when I could turn to almighty, omnipotent God who is infinite in power to help me in my time of need? So, can I just tell you what God has done in my life? That's all he asks us to do. Live your life for that purpose. Praying for, looking forward to, getting excited about opportunities to tell people how wonderful the Lord is and how good he is. But remember, our verbal witness is not as powerful as our nonverbal witness. And if I'm trying to tell people the wonderful difference Christ has made in my life, but they don't see a change in me, <laughs> they're not buying what I'm selling. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You seem like the same old sleazeball to me. You know, you still got a foul mouth. You still got an anger temper problem. You still abuse your wife and alcohol, you know. If I was trying to sell you on a new diet plan, a new weight loss program, and I'm going on and on about its wonderful benefits in my life, and I'm 150 pounds overweight, you're not listening. Because you're not buying what I'm selling. So even more important than our verbal witness is our nonverbal witness. When people can see love has replaced selfishness, you're not the same person I used to know. When they can see for themselves humility has placed, replaced pride and ego, and you're not the same person I used to know. And when they can see moral purity has replaced perversity, you are not the same person I used to party with. And when they can see that mercy and grace has replaced anger and bitterness. And when they can see that being filled with the Spirit has replaced being drunk with wine. Now they have ears to hear. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Let me share with you what the Lord has done in my life. And people will listen. Now, why is it so vital that God's people are fulfilling their calling in life to be ministers and witnesses for Christ because people's eternal souls are at stake. And if we will live this way, we will be bright lights shining in a dark world. And what will happen? Verse 18, to open blind eyes. The people can turn from darkness to light. And from the dominion of Satan to God. And receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among all those who have been sanctified through faith in Christ. That's what's at stake. And that is the ultimate joy that comes from living this way. Is to see people turn from darkness to light. From the dominion of Satan to God. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you, you've experienced that. If your life has influenced someone to come to Christ, you can hardly contain the joy. 
And imagine being in heaven someday and meeting people you never knew got saved. And you meet them in heaven and they explain to you it was largely because of your witness for Christ and your influence upon their life. You won't even be able to contain the joy. And so this is the twofold purpose, twofold calling of God upon our lives to be ministers and witnesses. And oh, what joy when people's eyes are open. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Spiritual blindness has to do with the mind, the way people think. <clears throat> so when people don't have a biblical worldview, uh, when people's values are wrong, morality is wrong, priorities are wrong, it's called blindness, it's called spiritual blindness. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. And if we will live our lives in this way, we will see blind eyes open, people just saying, wow, what I was looking for, I was looking for in all the wrong places. How could I have been so blind? They will turn and they will leave the dominion of Satan, which is the dominion of darkness. Satan was the most powerful and beautiful of all of the angels that God created, but he was so full of pride, and he rebelled against God. He wanted mankind to worship him, not God. And he wanted mankind to do his will and serve him, not God. He wanted mankind to do his work, the work of evil, instead of the work of God. Why did God allow, why does God allow Satan to exist and his kingdom and dominion to exist? So that all people can have a choice. God is love. He wants a love relationship with man. Love demands a choice. If I'm doing something because I have to and I have no choice, I could do it resentfully. God wants us to be with him because we love him. Love demands a choice. And people will choose which kingdom they're going to dwell in here and for eternity. And it's so heartbreaking. Have you ever heard people say, well, I'll just go to hell with all my friends? Like how's going to be a big party with their friends? Like they're just going to get together with the boys and play poker and drink beer and, and smoke cigars and tell dirty jokes. It's darkness. It's outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is less like a poker game and more like a black hole in outer space. You know those mysterious black holes? We don't really understand them very well. We just know that the gravitational field is so intense that it sucks everything in that gets close to it and nothing can get out. No matter, no radiation. Nothing can get out. And when people find themselves there, they won't be saying, God, why did you put me here? Why did you choose this for me? They will spend eternity going, why did I choose They love the darkness better than the light because their deeds are evil. They don't want to give up their sinful pleasures, but we can show them a better way. Sin is fun and pleasurable just for a moment, and then it brings brokenness and pain and heartache. We can show them a better way. If we will fulfill our calling and say, I have not proved disobedient to the heavenly calling, and we live our lives as ministers and witnesses, we will see blind eyes open. We will see people turn from darkness to light, go from the dominion of Satan to God, and receive forgiveness of sin, and receive that eternal inheritance in the glory of his kingdom. 
that is for all who are sanctified, set apart through faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Through your word, Lord, just shining the light of truth so we can see what darkness we are in. Lord, we want to be that light for people. Suddenly they can realize they're in darkness because they see a light shining, and if they want to, they can begin making their way toward a light. Thank you for your word, Lord, because we would get it all wrong. There is that way that seems right to a man, the end thereof are the ways of death. Would you give us a heart today just to be ministers and witnesses of Christ in this world? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can know the Lord. You can have the Lord in your life. You can know that your sins are paid for simply by receiving Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. It doesn't do any good to say he is the Lord and the Savior generically. That doesn't do you any good. Christ only benefits you when he's your Lord and your Savior. And so you can have the assurance that your sins are paid for and forgiven, and you can receive the free gift of eternal life if you'd like to pray this prayer, whether you're here in the sanctuary, whether you're listening online. If you just pray this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I've fallen short of your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering and dying for me. I believe in you. I receive you now as my Lord, as my Savior. Come into my heart. Wash me and cleanse me from all sin. I receive your forgiveness. I receive the free gift of eternal life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Strengthen me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you open the door and invite me and I'll come in. So if you prayed that prayer, Christ dwells in your heart. And you belong to him forever. And we invite you to join us as we celebrate our salvation in the communion service. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to what? Give his life a ransom, a ransom. And we were kidnapped. We've been taken captive by the evil one to do his will. And the ransom price wasn't a million dollars, and it wasn't $10 million, and it wasn't a billion dollars. It was far more than that because the wages of sin is death. Jesus could not pay our debt of sin without going to the cross and dying in our place. So during the communion service, just meditate on your worth and your value and what a treasure you are to the Lord that he would pay such a price for you. Let's worship the Lord.